The most downloaded episode in the history of the Leading Saints podcast is my interview with Rob Farrell, the young single adult stake president that I recorded probably 18 months ago, maybe two years ago. It's phenomenal. And I constantly get emails from people saying, hey, have you done a part two to that interview? Well, I'm happy to say we've done so much more than a part two. We actually invited Rob to present in front of a live audience and we recorded it all. He gives us five additional hours, roughly, of content of his leadership approach and uh, perspective. It is so helpful. I've had countless emails of people saying how much this has deeply impacted their approach to leadership. If you have not seen it, you've got to see it. And you can see it in the Core Leader Library, which we make available to all core leaders. Now, to become a core leader, you just go to leadingsaints.org slash donate. And there you can uh, submit a monthly, quarterly, or yearly subscribing donation, and that gets you access to not only Rob Farrell's presentation in the Core Leader Library, but the entire Core Leader Library. So you got to check it out. Go to leadingsaints.org donate and help us grow this organization and move it forward by becoming a Core Leader. I must confess, this is the first episode I've recorded on an air hockey table. Now, why you ask my recording on an air hockey table? Because we're currently living with my parents during a transition into a new home. And uh, that's just was the bedroom that was available at the moment. So my name is Kurt Frankum. I'm the host of the Leading Saints podcast, and that's the podcast you're listening to right now. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, it's important that you know what this is about, what we what we do. Maybe somebody recommended you listen to this podcast and you're clueless as to what it's all about. Well, by the name Leading Saints, we talk about all things leadership in the context of being a Latter-day Saint, because our mission is to help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And so whether it's through this podcast, our website at leadingsaints.org, our newsletter that goes out every week that you can subscribe to at leadingsaints.org slash subscribe, and many more live events, summits, and all sorts of ways we try and help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. Now, buckle up, folks. As you can see on your podcast player, this is a lengthy episode, but hang with me here. Let me explain what, what's going on and, and why it ended up so long and why you should stick through every single minute of it. Is I invited Tony Overbay, who is a, a professional therapist, and Becky Hennessy, who's also a professional therapist. They have all sorts of uh, letters after their name, which we'll discuss uh, during the episode. But I wanted to get them together and have a discussion with them of regarding all the things you may be experiencing as a leader as it relates to returning to church during the, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? We've gotten the, the green light or the somewhat green light to return, to phase back to church, and different stakes are handling it different, and that's great. That's what makes us individuals. Nothing wrong with that, right? But there's some little nuances, some intricacies, some leadership dynamics that maybe you haven't faced for a while that are going to come up. And so we try to cram as many of those from the perspective of a therapist into this episode and talk about. So in reality, this should have been three episodes, but we're sort of on a timetable here, right? And so I want to just cram it into one episode. So it went a little long. You can take it in chunks and pieces, pause, take breaks, whatever you need, but definitely listen to it. And I'm guaranteeing many of you will listen to it more than once. It's a wonderful episode where we talk about all things related to this concept as far as like wearing masks at church, how the sacraments prepared, nursery toy cleaning. We talk about, you know, what do you do with it when a member gets upset or isn't liking how the phasing in is going or, right, the conflict that could arise, all these different things that are going to be highlighted in the, in the context of returning to church after a, a pandemic or during a pandemic, right? Unfortunately, there's, there hasn't been an official end to this. And uh, obviously, it could be ongoing. So we try and 
approach it all with some tactics and strategies, some perspectives will hopefully help you consider, pray over, be inspired as a leader as far as the best way and the best tactics you can use to approach this unique time. So here is my interview with Tony Overbay and Becky Hennessy. Today, I am uh, in a Zoom room with some fantastic individuals. Tony Overbay and Becky Hennessy are with me. How are you two? I am so excited to be here with both of you. Yeah, this uh, is going to be fun. This is going to be a right. fun adventure I, I have for all. Somehow, I have somehow found the most verbose therapists in the world and invite <laughs> them on a podcast. So people are probably looking at their player and they're thinking, a four-hour podcast <laughs> on Earth. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, hopefully it isn't uh, too long, but uh, we got some great discussion to talk about. And this, I guess, starts with a discussion. Oh, and I need to say that Tony and Becky, they are uh, on our board of advisors, leading saints. We like to have the professionals that check our work, make sure we aren't saying anything dangerous <laughs> out there. And so both of you, I, I, I always get confused with the letters behind your names. You guys are marriage and family therapists. I mean, anything else you'd add to that, Tony? That what? Sound, sounds great. I'm an LCSW. I don't. I don't get the okay. American oh, Family Therapist okay. credit. Oh, oh. Whoa. no! If we're doing if we're if we're doing the letters, then uh, LMFT, Becky, uh, licensed marriage and family. Therapist. Yeah, I'll see your LCSW right. and raise, raise you an LMFT. LMNOPQRS. That's what we are. And I'm a Kurt Frankum professional podcaster. PP. I don't know that. I don't want to be the PP. I'm just saying. Right. Okay. This just got weird. Anyways. It always gets weird with you two, but uh, but you guys are very smart uh, people, lots of experience. Uh, Tony, tell us about uh, just introduce you as far as from your perspective of the podcasting world. I'm sure people, many people already uh, subscribe to your podcast, but tell us about it, and then we'll talk about. Yeah, you're very kind. So I'm a host of the Virtual Couch podcast, which is in essence some sort of almost free mental health advice. Although I am not giving mental health advice, let me be very clear for any attorneys that are listening. As your attorney sharing, whispers in your Exactly ear. right. I'm just sharing things that I, I really do love sharing things that I just feel I run into in therapy over and over again. So the majority of the topics have to do with parenting, with couples relationships, with faith journeys, and just with addiction and trying to overcome addiction. And two of my very most favorite times ever on a podcast were your episodes on the Leading Saints, Kurt. Oh, wow. That's saying a lot. That's yep. saying a lot. Top that, Becky. Becky. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Tell us about your <laughs> uh, your platform, your podcast. Uh, so mine is, as we're recording this, currently called The Path of Imperfection, but it is transitioning over to The Path of Connection. And that's just changing because as I ventured down my path of imperfection, I realized that as I was comfortable with me being human, that I was just able to connect a lot more. And so now I'm on this path of connection and I just talk about whatever is on my heart and my mind. I don't usually interview a lot of other people, but I do interview some and it's just me talking about what's in my brain and what's in my heart. So that's my podcast. Yeah, definitely. As you're listening to this at the gym, set down the, the dumbbell and uh, subscribe to these podcasts as you listen to this one, because uh, you'll you'll understand why by the end, I'm sure. So uh, this this podcast idea, this episode first started, I think, with a discussion Becky and I were having about, you know, going back to church. We're recording this on June 1st, 2020, in the midst of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And uh, we've gotten the go ahead, at least in most U.S. regions, to you, you can start phasing back. We won't go into the details of what those phases look like. I'm sure your, your bishop and stake president know all about it. And uh, so we were talking about some sort of the new dynamics that we're going to face as we transition back to some level of normalcy with attending church. And obviously, you can see that 
that some of those things, even day to day life where you go to the grocery store, you see people with masks, you see people with not no masks, you see people who are uh, more cautious, other people who are less cautious. And it is what it is. These are people and we think differently. And, and so we're going to see that at church, right? And this may lead to leaders making mandating masks at church or not, or, you know, how, and it goes back to the discussion Tony and I had a few weeks ago with, with values, right? You're always going to lead with a certain value. So, but people interpret values a different way. And so we thought, let's get you guys, your expertise, let's have a discussion about some of these dynamics, one that you're seeing walking into your therapy offices. And, and that's maybe we'll, help leaders be better prepared to what's maybe going to walk into their spiritual offices, right? Or some of their, or the the impact that their uh, organizational culture is going to have on some of these things. So with, with all that, I have a laundry list, you guys, this is going to be fantastic. A laundry list of options here. I want to start with, Becky, you brought this up as far as the, uh, the anxiety versus the spirit, because I think right now you're seeing, and throughout the pandemic, I would imagine you've always seen that, those anxiety concerns walk in the in the door, but they maybe look differently week to week as we've gone through this as a society. So how would you unpack this under of the, the, of, as far as anxiety goes? Yeah, what's interesting, and I don't know if this is the case with you, Tony, I'd love to hear you speak on it, was when all of this started to roll out, the clients that I was that I have been seeing that have come in because of anxiety actually were really calm. And yes. they seemed to be handling it really well. And as I asked them about that, they're like, this is a Tuesday for me. Like everybody else is finally catching up to my anxiety level. Like this is no big deal. Right. And they seemed to navigate that pretty well. I was impressed more with them than me. I'm thinking, man, you guys are using your coping skills. We're moving through this. But as they have started to get word, particularly in regards to church, reopening up and those kinds of things, anxiety levels have just shot through the roof for those folks because now comes in all of the what ifs and what abouts and all of the stuff that complicates that anxiety for them has kind of come in to the picture. And so a lot of my folks are having a difficult time deciphering which is the spirit giving me personal revelation as to what's right for me and my family and what is the anxiety talking. And so I'm having to have a lot of conversations reminding them that we have these reptilian brains or these parts of our brains that have this fight, flight, or freeze thing that happens when we feel threatened, when we feel fear, when trauma happens, this fight, flight, or freeze is is brought in. And so we're having to navigate, okay, so what does anxiety feel like in my body? And when I get warnings or premonitions from the spirit, what does that feel like in my body? There's little teeny tiny differences, but they're having to decipher between the two of those because they don't know if this is coming from like personal revelation or if this is coming from anxiety and, and they're feeling really confused about that. And as I talk them through it, a lot of it sounds like anxiety versus something that they're feeling like is coming from deity. Yeah. And and I, I like this, uh, you talk about in the beginning how they were handling it quite well. And, and we just say that a lot of that was due to with the lockdown and the you know, the quarantine, they, they were in, in more control with their yes. life, right? They, they could stay inside and that, in fact, they were encouraged to stay inside and they controlled their world a little bit better that way. And the germs and all of the other unpredictable things, there were tough things, you know, people were losing jobs and, and those kinds of things. But for them, they're like, I can control this area. I can control what's going on in my family, what's going on with my kids. I can have a lot of say in that. And my normal has now become everybody else's normal. 
Um, yeah, and so yeah, and so as people as we start back to church, you know, maybe a lot of us are like, oh, great, you know, finally back to the world I'm I'm comfortable with. Maybe yeah. it's going to feel a little more normal for me. But maybe if someone really has some uh, serious wrestles with anxiety, this is like, oh, wait, 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 no, 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 and that can flare up some more anxiety, right? Yeah, yeah. Tony, you know, I would I would love to jump in there too with. I love the way Becky's pointing out anxiety versus the spirit. And I just had a guest on my podcast, Dr. Laura Sparrow. I haven't released the episode. I hope I will by the time you release this one. But she laid it out so beautifully. It was talking about how we even see more conspiracy theories in a time of COVID-19. And, and I really was shocked at how she was able to get to a conspiracy theory based on a pandemic. And it was kind of a similar thing where we're being inundated with this unknown, you know, this, uh, how long will this last? What does it look like in the future? When will my job be the same? When will my kids go back to school? What will the summer look like? When will we be able to travel? And your brain is not designed to just continually get just hammered with the what ifs or the unknowns. So it wants to make sense of things. And so she talked about how what it's going to do is it's going to really just start to find some path of either least resistance or a path that feels right. And so it'll start to look for cognitive bias which just means something that makes sense to us, even something even in the realm of what what kind of makes sense based on all of our values or experiences. And then once you get in that cognitive bias, now here comes the confirmation bias. And now you everything you read, everything you see is backing up your point, which I feel like what I'm seeing a lot in my office is a lot of anxiety that then leads to kind of polarization. And I think, Kurt, what you were saying, the masks is such a great example. I'm sitting in my office and I have people come in that, you know, they're basically saying, can you believe, you know, what, what idiot wouldn't wear a mask? And then the next person right in and in a similar area, maybe even a similar demographic is saying, you know, what's up with all these masks, you know, and it's like just uh, the same kind of person, the same general view, you would assume, but the brain just wants to make sense of things. And I think that's where mm. it starts to, to work through the anxiety. You know, where my mind goes with that is, you know, obviously in our <laughs> no culture, especially ours is free of, uh, you know, conspiracy theories and individuals oh, yeah. who like to run with them. But I kind of see it in the form of like, you hear this uh, narrative or this uh, set over again, like, well, you know, the prophets sort of warned us of this or, you know, I posted a 1970 something conference talk about, you know, about teaching the gospel in their home, right? And it went like yeah. wildfire. People kind of, their brain wants to make sense of it. And yeah, they say, exactly. of course, look at our yes. prophets. Look look at the Come Follow Me program, right? And again, I'm not saying that it, it, these things aren't inspired, but this is kind of a good opportunity to say, oh, actually, that may just be my brain's trying to make sense of things. Like we have prophets and they told us the things, okay, this all makes sense and we're all going to be okay. And that sort of helps bring down the, oh, that's the anxiety. Beautiful. She, she talked about using your, you know, not saying that that doesn't mean that something isn't true to you, but to be able to step back and use your critical thinking skills. And, and then at that point, kind of jumping back into whatever really goes in line with your values. And, uh, I'm kind of joking with this, not really, but I said something really smart in the podcast and then I even repeated it again because I thought it was really smart and she didn't think it was as smart as I did. But I think what I, what I said was that, you know, there's the, hey, here's the things you need to know. And then there's the group that's saying the, here's what they're not telling you, you know, and which one is going to cause more anxiety. I mean, I believe it's the, here's what they're not telling you because it's like, right. oh my gosh, what else am I not being told? And I really have to make sense of these things, which can cause me to go on some deep dive and just look for what else am I not being told? What else, you know, what am I missing? And that what am I missing, I think, can keep that brain just going in that fight or flight. I think that this is what bishops are going to continue to see is what Tony's explaining here and what his guests explained. Everybody thinks that way, feels that way. That happens for everyone, even if you don't mm -hmm. necessarily have like an anxiety disorder or something like that. Yeah. I, mean, I anticipate that 
bishops are going to start to notice either within themselves or even like within church leadership, right? My husband attended ward council in person yesterday for the first time in a really long time, right? And so as he's there, he's noticing like people that don't have an anxiety disorder have a lot of worries, have a lot of concern, have a lot of anxiety and tap into exactly what you and Tony are talking about, Kurt, in this this space. It's just what our brains do. It's how our brains make sense of things. Yeah. yeah. So I want to highlight that the leadership principle here that I'm learning from all this is that one, as far as the, the spirit anxiety dynamic, like I think it's helpful for a leader to be aware that there's going to be people who think like, Bishop, I was going to come to church today, but I just couldn't get out the door, which is fine. It, but some, when they um, we go down the path of like, the spirit told me I should stay home or, you know, then we our brain kind of tries to fill the gap, right? Like I must have, maybe I was going to die in a car accident mm-hmm. on the way to the chapel, right? And so that's why the spirit left me. And then we hyper obsess over these things. So as a leader, being aware of this dynamic between anxiety and spirit brings, it gives you an opportunity to maybe bring some empathy to it and not just go. say, well, you know, whether it was the spirit or not, Sister Jones, like, I'm just glad you feel safe and and we're here to help you. And, you know, and then bring some encouragement saying, you know, a lot of this, we're going to have to maybe lean lean into some of these anxieties. And that's maybe where the spirit's going to step is when we lean into these anxieties and risks. And uh, then, then the spirit will take our hand there. But it's not necessarily going to just say, you know, stay away all the time. And and so anyways, I think that's helpful. Any any additional thoughts before we, we move no, I on? love that. I've uh, got a wonderful new stake president that I love that I was able to talk to a few weeks ago about something similar. And I just love that he kind of said something to the effect of, and I'm not quoting him, but it was, he was going to default to the side of agency. And I, and I love that. So, you know, where we might want to say, that's not the spirit, that's you wanting to watch TV on Sunday, you know, or whatever. But uh, (laughs) kind of like you say, I hear you, Sister Jones, sounds like that's a, I don't know, a very powerful experience you're having there, you know? Because I think, you know, Becky, you'll probably agree here. Sometimes when people feel heard, that's when they might go, well, you know what, maybe I can come, right? But when they're being told, you know, you need to come, now we've got that good old psychological reactance, that instant negative reaction of being told what to do, also known as agency, that's going to push back and say, no, no, I can't come. You don't understand, you know, and then and then they got to kind of ride big with that. Yeah, yeah. a bishop's not going to go wrong with that empathy piece, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. that and, and again, we're not saying that like the goal is to get as many people there on Sunday every week. Right. But the, the reality is that just the recognizing the the anxiety, the, the role that anxiety is playing in all that. And regardless if, you know, it is anxiety or the spirit, you know, if, regardless if they come or not, just being aware that, you know, some people may need some encouragement saying, well, hey, you know, because I, I feel like a role leader can play in all this is just helping, encouraging people to move forward in some way, whether that's mm-hmm. come to church or, you know, figure out how to go to the grocery store more often or whatever, like helping them work past that with the hope of, especially if they need professional therapists. But anyways, that's, that's my thought there. But okay. With that, and you, you sort of mentioned this earlier is the, you know, the, just the, the, to be aware of like, everybody doesn't think the same. Right. Yeah. And, and you see this a lot that, you know, there may be, you may be sitting in a ward council setting and someone may say, well, obviously we need to mandate masks, right? And right. three other people are thinking, no, I'm not wearing a mask or, you know, whatever it is. And just realizing that a lot of these feelings we've, you know, especially people without anxiety disorders, they've suddenly felt some new anxieties and they assume everybody else is feeling these. And therefore, I'm sure everybody's concerned about wearing masks, right? And uh, so anyway, how, where, where can you take us on that? To- okay. 
So I love, this is where framing, I think framing a question becomes so important. And this is the seek first to understand before being understood, which right. I now know is Stephen Covey. And it was not <laughs> it, Peter, it wasn't Peter in the New Testament, <laughs> even though I proclaimed that for a good year. But it's the, you know, hey, what are your thoughts about masks? You know, asking these open-ended questions. I love that, you know, instead of the, like, like you said, well, we're obviously going to wear masks, right? Because again, we've got psychological reactants. We've got pushback. We've got people that are then going to feel like they weren't heard or... And, and that can even, even if it's framed differently, somebody can come out of that room feeling like, okay, that was a productive discussion. I feel heard and I'm more willing to kind of follow or, or buy into what the word council has decided, where when they feel like, you know, they were to shut down, I think that leaves people feeling like when they're not heard, that that's when they might leave there and kind of think, man, you know, the bishop thinks he's got everything figured out or whatever. Of course, and I'm not endorsing talking negative about the bishop for the record. Um, <laughs> right. but, but so I think of that framing the question is a big thing. And uh, Becky, I don't know if you're seeing this too, but I, I was noticing as a therapist, I mean, I think it's empathy that causes people to really feel validated and feel heard. And, and they also translate that to mean they agree with me. So I feel like, you know, every client that walks in my office is, you know, thinking that I'm right on board with them, which I think can, you know, be a, a challenge as well. And I think no, people I love feel that. that like reciprocal, like back and forth. Because yeah. sometimes people who are receiving empathy think, oh, you're on my team. And sometimes people giving empathy worry, oh, they're going to think I'm on their team. So yeah. people can take empathy and package it in the space of where it's not empathy. Mm. But people will, can also say like, well, I don't feel like you heard me. And it's no, you, you don't feel like I agreed with you. That's very different yeah. than me hearing you. Mm. Yeah, I love that, that. That dynamic can really come up easily. And and again, you like you both have said, empathy is so important in some of these situations. But again, that could be interpreted as as I'm on your team or I agree yes. with you or and maybe you are on their team and you agree with them. But there may be three others in the room or a third of the ward that doesn't agree with them. Right. And so then you get into this mode of, well, we're just sort of dismissing them. You know, they OK, they're kind of crazy or, right, you know. But to, to recognize that, like, well, actually, some people, they don't want to come in mass. What do, how are we going to see that? How are we going to approach that and make sure that they don't feel dismissed unintentionally? And, you know, and I've never I've never been a bishop. And so I'm not trying to say it's that I know. How the, oh, it's please, come on. <laughs> so <laughs> I tell you but, that every time. I know. Right. Um, but I feel like I've done a, a lot of corporate coaching with executives, corporate executives. And I do feel like those tell me more about what do you guys think about statements and then some validation. Man, thanks for sharing that. That makes so much sense. I appreciate that. That then when ultimately whoever that decision maker is, if it's a bishop or an executive or who says, you know, I really appreciate the feedback. I feel like I feel like I, you know, I feel like it would be best to move forward with masks. Again, there's a big difference when people feel heard and feel validated and understood. And then moving forward, you know, I feel like that's when you kind of have that, they're kind of joined more, or they may, may be more an easily sustainable situation versus a, man, I can't believe the bishop, you know, did that, that sort of thing. I think that empathy is also helpful in a space of where when sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so comes and attacks whoever, because of however it's being done, I think it's a beautiful way to defuse a situation as well, because you don't have to be in a space of agreement. Sister so-and-so can say, I was terrified because I saw one of the, the deacons and their mask fell down. And then I ended up yeah. getting that tray of bread. And I know that the one piece that that fell on came into my mouth. And, and that may be a very legitimate concern. The leader, whoever it is, or even the ward member that they're venting to can show up with empathy. Like that's got to feel really scary. They don't have to say like, you're absolutely right. But having that empathy, I think it's, it's 
it's so universal in situations like this, which is awesome. Love it. And I'm just thinking in the, you know, in that context, just the accidental dis, uh, what's the word? Dismissing mm-hmm. of individual. Cause you may be in a ward council and all 10 or however many of those people are like, all right, how about we set, set a rule that you mandated masks to church, right? All right. Yeah. Everybody's. And so then you think, yeah, every, the whole ward's going to feel like this. Right. But just ask yourself, how about we go out and how can we figure out where the ward's at with this so that we don't accidentally d- dismiss anybody who then doesn't feel welcome because mm-hmm. we just uh, because we we feel like we're making judgment on them or something like that, right? So always be asking questions. I think goes back to what you're saying, Tony. Is yeah, like, yeah. like, what that. questions could we ask to really get a sense of where the ward's at and and how we can and make this a welcoming, yeah, yeah, and so that everybody feels heard. And again, like you said, if they feel heard, they're more likely to engage with that, with that organization, right? Let's jump into uh, the sacrament in general, right? Because this, you know, we've sort of talked about masks a little bit and we'll come back to those, but the next big concern is, is the sacrament and, and how's it going to be passed? And, and everybody's sort of looking at the bishop, like, all right, like, don't fumble this football. How are you going to do it? Like, how can you make me feel safe? And what if I don't want to take the sacrament? Then, you know, what's going to happen there? So Tony, where do we start with, uh, as far as the sacrament goes, what are some thoughts you've had around, around so this topic? This is one, when I knew that we were going to be talking today, I did ask uh, several of my clients, hey, what are your thoughts around returning to church? And I felt like overwhelmingly the sacrament was what most people are talking about. I was on a, a trip over the weekend with uh, my wife, um, my daughter, and her friend who was a boy. I'll leave it at that, right? Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful guy. Okay. But, but you just, like him, Tom. I do, I do. Oh, good. Um, but, but t- and, and even he was talking about just, uh, he's a convert, you know, he's, he's had a lot of, a lot of things go on in his life. And, and he just talked about how just it's felt so special to just have that small group experience with the sacrament. You know, I know that I've had a, an amazing experience. I felt like having the sacrament with my own family we've, and we've had amazing bread, which has been really cool. And, you know, I'm a convert. I haven't had that experience a lot. I found myself nervous that, well, what if I mess up the words, right? I'm like one of those deacons <laughs> or, or one of those priests, you know, this is getting scary. And I had a client today tell me that, that she had never seen her husband bless the sacrament. And I thought, man, what a great experience. But then I also had someone talk about, they miss the the long period of time while the deacons are passing the sacrament for them to reflect that that's one of their favorite times in church. So, you know, I, I have been really just loving all of the stories about what the sacrament means and what it represents to people and uh, what that's been like in, at home. And I, and I feel like that's been one of the greatest experiences of in-home church. Yeah. Love that. And so there's going to be people that are uh, in that state of mind, like, okay, it's sort of been nice this yeah. the last couple of months. I have this really spiritual moment with my family, though it's maybe shorter than I'm used to. And now I go back to church and it feels like, you know, World War III, people on masks, you know, everybody's keeping distance and like really cautious of what bread they take and who it was touched by. Like it just completely flips that spiritual spirit experience over. So they think, you know what, I'm just going to stay home as long as the bishop will authorize it, which again is fine. But but again, I think this is an opportunity for leaders to say, wait a minute, I don't want you to st- just stay home because you feel like this is t- overly structured and, you know, red tape everywhere. So how, how can we be more open to that? But Okay, this is my, my ADD. I got to tell the story. So I've had, you know, I get to speak a lot. I love speaking and I've been able to speak at a few different, you know, I, you call them big box uh, Christian churches. And one of the first ones I ever spoke at there on my seat was the coolest little cup. And it was like a cup that had a top on it and then it had a, a cracker on top of it and it was all sealed. So it was a it was a sacrament to go and it was grape juice and it was a cracker 
and the grape juice was awesome and the cracker was stale. So, I mean, it was this good and evil right there, you know, but it was this amazing, just self-contained experience. I'm not trying to say that the church must do that, but, but it was pretty, it was pretty incredible. Well, yeah, well, I think there's just a matter of, you know, what, what can we, how can we approach this in a way that's going to create safety without, you know, make just taking the pureness out of the whole ordinance itself. Right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank Becky, you. Go ahead. I, uh, so I serve as the stake young women's president in my stake right now. And I had the opportunity to go to a stake council, like a, a mega stake council, because ward councils were also, some individuals of the ward councils were also invited. And they just kind of rolled out like, this is what our area authorities have said. And here's where you as bishops can figure out what's a fit for your ward and all that kind of stuff. And as they were speaking about that and talking about that, our stake president said something that really stuck with me that uh, as I knew that we were going to be talking today, I thought, I just, I want to bring that into the picture a little bit and maybe talk a little bit about that. For me, I know that having the sacrament at home has given me a testimony of the sacrament on steroids. Like there is no other experience I can think of that would have given me such a strong testimony about it in so many different ways. I've always believed in the importance of the ordinance and things like that, but it's it's become very real, very personal, very raw, right? So our stake president asked the meeting, let's have you guys share some experiences about having the sacrament in your home. How has that gone for you? How have you felt? And as everybody's sharing, very similarly, some folks are having some very awesome experiences. Now I'm very aware because I've actually received emails from people that are not having awesome experiences where it's been really hard because they don't necessarily have a priesthood holder in their home or it's brought up a lot of things. I mean, I see a lot of folks with like betrayal trauma and stuff like that. It's just, it's gotten kind of wonky in some spaces, but for the most part, a lot of people have, have experienced some really awesome experiences with that. So as our state president is talking about that, then he said something that stuck with me. I went home, talked with my family about it, talked with my presidency about it. He said, how do we take that and bring that here? So how can we take those sacred experiences? What did you guys do differently and bring that here? And as I thought about it, I thought, man, we prepared. Like I prepared. We cleaned our front room top to bottom every single Saturday. And my kids were on board because they knew that that's what our new chapel was. Like my kids sat quieter at home for some weird reason. I don't, maybe it's because it was so short. It was like three minutes. I don't know. They just <laughs> like, so I look at how I prepared myself for the sacrament differently and how can I convert that over to when I go back to the ward or when I go back to that. So I'm really curious about ways that folks can be able to take that back in. It's not that we have to say, oh, that was that was so nice. That was so lovely. It's too bad that we have to go back to how it used to be. That's tragic. If you gained a testimony of how the sacrament ordinance can touch your heart and touch your life, let's take some of that and, and a lot of that and put it back into those meetings for ourselves personally, for our ward families. I think that that can create sacrament meeting in our ward families in a way that we've never even experienced, which is an awesome gift from our Heavenly Father that we yeah. have been able to gain in this time. Yeah, yeah, I've had this thought recently that I we're in a time where 
No other time will you have members of the church more ready to sort of do a reset on their approach to some of these things because the way it used to be done is so far in the past that they may have a harder time remembering it. So we might as well regroup and say, all right, we're starting to square one. Let's imagine we've never done a sacrament meeting before. Pull out the handbook. What are the criteria we need to follow? And then how can we make this ordinance or this experience to the point where they even forget masks are there or that they stop worrying what's been wiped down and what hasn't because we've given them experience that supersedes all that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that it's such a great opportunity and for leaders to see it as opportunity, no other time in their life, hopefully, will they ever have, will they forget the way it used to be more than right now because that was two, three months ago and we can start from square one again. Well, and that's not just with the sacrament, right? Like yeah. tradition Elders and culture- going, right? out the window of yeah. all of it, like young women's, how young men's, all of it, camp, yeah. youth conferences. I'm talking about the youth because they're my favorite, but <laughs> other, like everything has been swiped clean. What an awesome opportunity for a ward council to say back to what you've talked about, Tony, in the past, I've listened to your guys' episodes about values and what is it that our, what's our ward values? Like, and how do we you don't have to have the tradition and the culture because obviously we haven't for the last two and a half months, three months, nobody like it's fine. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. And that will, you know, if people are in that sort of mindset of like, man, home sacrament is pretty sweet. I'm going to keep this going. Like that, what a challenge that is to come up. And I love that question. Your stake president asked you, Becky is like, what components there could we then introduce into the a formal chapel setting? It can make it just as powerful, right? Like, yeah. oh, I loved, I love to hear my husband bless the sacrament. Okay, well, do the priests have to do it every week? Like, right, can right. we do a rotation? Like, again, I don't, I think it's really important for priests to do that in that sort of time as well. But again, it starts a dialogue mm-hmm. where then inspiration can insert itself and say, ah, oh, you finally asked the question. I can finally give you this answer. Two quick ADD thoughts. Uh, Becky said, swiped clean. And I thought about an experience when I was in the bishopric and there was a, a older gentleman bless his heart, loved him to death, just eyeballed the people that were breaking the bread, you know, the priests that were breaking the bread. And if any of them went to their nose, we had to do this big kind of, uh, sell, you know, this, this, uh, what ceremony where they had to then grab a diaper wipe and hold it a bunch, you know, for everyone to see and wipe their hands. And so I will I, now wipe my fingers. <laughs> right? So I know that that is going to be on display, you know, yeah. of, of being careful. And which then also made me think of swipe clean of, and this is probably not the time to talk about it, but the nursery, you know, my, uh, right. my, my daughter's, uh, uh, sister-in-law, Allie had mentioned this in, in some comments of, I was a nursery worker for a month and a half. I, I felt like I left there every day with like some sort of uh, coronavirus or something, you know? And, and so I can't even imagine what we're going to do with those kind of situations as well. But I mean, I think just that since we've got this, uh, this platform of just bringing awareness, if you've got a bishop that maybe hasn't had kids in a long time or doesn't have grandkids or he's like, they're fine, you know, in the nursery. Oh no, that nursery needs deep cleaning, right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And that takes me to, you know, just this concept of values, right? Like if you Mm -hmm. maybe have an older grandpa bishop who hasn't dealt with toddlers in a long time and he thinks, ah, it's it's probably fine. You know, we don't need to do much or, or yeah, just, you know, spray some, uh, something in there and, and move on or, you know, whatever. But it comes down to that discussion of leading from the perspective of values that are in the ward, right? Like I think that's the the core concept we're discussing is whether it's masks or how the sacrament's done. How can you be more aware of the different values in your in your stake or ward, right? Mm-hmm. And let me just propose an idea to the experts here. 
that a thought that came to me, I was actually on a run today and a thought came to my mind. I'm going to share it out there because it goes back to the concept of that I call the values pizza. Now I'm sure I saw many that. of you, yes, I, did. I, I saw your read post it on that. Yeah. Okay. So and the basic concept is that if you're like at a work meeting, maybe there's, you know, 10 people or whatever, and you say, Hey, let's order some pizza. Hey, great. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, who doesn't like pizza? And, and so you say, great, let's order pizza. And then you say, okay, well, what do you want on it? And somebody's going to say, oh, well, I've got a, definitely pepperoni and oh, make sure mushrooms are on there. And people are like, oh, gross mushrooms. Oh, then this guy's like, what? Uh, pineapple. Let's do pineapple. Like, and then like half the no. room's offended. Like, no, he's, you... he's correct. But we'll talk about that <laughs> okay. at a later date. Kurt. See, Tony continue. has the value of exactly. no pineapple on pizza. No, right? I want my pineapple. But anyway, continue. Oh, okay. You want your pineapple. Okay, yes. gotcha. Thank you. So anyways, you get this you have to, you know, you can't order a pizza for everybody. And so you have to come to a consensus of what the values of this pizza is going to be. And so this is exactly what people are facing in a steak or ward setting, right? And my, my brother, who's a steak president, bless his leadership heart. He's, he, says, he said to all his bishops, like, he's given the bishops autonomy. You tell me how you want to handle this. Like, right on, man. Give him autonomy, right? And one bishop came back to him and said, Bishop, this or stake president, this is what we're going to do in my ward. I have an older ward demographic. And so we're only going to do 60 and over for our SAC meetings for a time. And my bishop thought, or my brother, the stake president thought, okay, great. Let me know how that goes, right? So I had the thought with you had a, a stake. Let's say you have eight wards in a stake. You have the opportunity of, at least for a, a, a time period, to make eight different COVID value pizzas, okay? So maybe you at uh, eight o'clock in the morning is, you know, ward, the first ward. And the first ward says, you come to, again, you, you involve the bishops in this discussion and you say, all right, we need a 60 and over time frame. And Bishop Jones, that's your ward, so you're going to preside over that meeting. And then, so you say at eight o'clock, anybody who's 60 or over can go to the sacrament meeting, obviously within the, you know, hundred people or whatever level you're at, can go to the sacrament and know that, You'll be safe. You'll be with seniors, just like the grocery stores do, right? They say eight to nine or whatever is, is seniors, 16 over people or high risk people. So maybe all the pregnant ladies can come as well or whatever. And then you maybe say something like at, uh, at 930, we're going to do, this is a mask required sacrament meeting. Our values pizza is we value and we interpret safety in the form of a mask. So you are required if you come to the 930 and 1130 sacrament meetings, you have to wear a mask. And then maybe the two o'clock, you say, no mask required. If you're comfortable coming, we'll, you know, of course, we'll keep our social distancing. We'll do our best. There'll be plenty of hand sanitizer. But that's the two o'clock ward. You can come to that, right? So then- The you, five o'clock when you have a blue shirt and a beard, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate right? it, Kurt. Yes. No, but I thought like maybe the five o'clock is like uh, all everybody under 30, right? Yeah, and no mask true. required. They're optional, right? So my point being is that in a stake, it's so easy to default like, well, we've got to meet geographically. Mm. Well, right now, again, I'm not saying this is like something you do for three years or something, but maybe for the next three months where you say, you pick the value you want. If masks are important to you and you want to guarantee that people are masks, come to the 930 sacrament meeting, you'll feel better. You'll feel safe, right? So chew my idea down. Tell me why oh, I'm wrong. Uh, preach it, Kurt. And okay. I will say that I will say I uh, will be as authentic and vulnerable and raw and all those other therapist words. I mean, I love it because I really feel like the mask thing alone is going to have people divided. And, uh, and I just, I want people to be able to go there and worship and feel the spirit and return back and just love their experience. And I, I personally do worry that there's going to be people there that 
you know, oh, I can't believe he's not wearing a mask. I can't believe he is wearing a mask. And then I'm sitting there thinking, if I'm wearing a mask, I'm going to get one of those that have like the mustache on it or whatever, right? <laughs> and then and people are going to think that that's irreverent. And so I really like that idea. Right. Only, <laughs> only colored masks with Looney Tune characters can come at four o'clock. Right. That's Tony's uh, sweet spot. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do like. I do like your idea, though. I, I mean, as I, I mean, I, I the concept of living by one's values, as you know, in our episode that we did, that changed my whole practice. It changed my whole life. And because if we're going against our values, it is considered. I don't know if you remember this one. A socially compliant goal, and your motivation is weak and ineffective because you're going against your sense of self or core of who you feel like you are. Right. And so, I, I want to pause right there and just really underscore that point. Like socially. If, if, you, yeah. if you don't wake up as a leader and realize you are making a values pizza, whether you like it or not, if you get that out of your mind, you're going to default to a socially compliant pizza, mm-hmm. which always tastes disgusting or bland. Like cardboard. Right? Like cardboard, cardboard. Right? And so, and that's why where I see, I see leaders do this and bust their hearts. Again, I'm not yep. criticizing. I'm just, I want to point out and highlight the leadership principle. It's so easy to sort of say like, oh, we're sort of hearing these voices and old Sister Christensen, you know, she she really feels passionate about this Bless one your value. Heart, all you Sister Christensen's that are right. And so then we default to, OK, what we're going to do is we're not going to set values. We're going to set rules. And nobody likes a bunch of rules. We want autonomy. We want options. Right. And you're going to offend somebody if you have a bunch of rules. Now, I get it. Even the church has a certain level of policies and rules in place. And that's necessary. You're, you're going to need some level of rules for that. But it, when it becomes all about rules so that you can achieve social, what was it? Socially compliant goals. Socially compliant goals. You're going to, it's going to corrupt your culture inside out. And then in a year, you're thinking, why does nobody like this ward? Like, well, I and, really and, am trying. And I like your, and I know I talked about this earlier, but the concept of reactance, psychological reactance absolutely blew my mind. And the, you know, when I dug up this uh, psychological reactance term, I've been asked to go train a new state presidency. And all of the it was when it was not too long ago when the mandate was get the bishops working again with the youth and have the elders quorum presidencies and the relief study presidencies going out amongst the people. And so I cart this one out every time because they're going to go typically and bless all of their hearts. The relief study presidents and elders quorums are going to then go and say, hey, everybody, here's what you need to do. And so when you tell people what to do with the, you know, kind of coming from that rule standpoint, People have psychological reactance, an instant negative reaction of being told what to do. And it's innate with us. It's born within us. It's there so that we aren't, you know, we, we, we aren't dominated by an alpha male or a, a, a domineering society. And I believe that is the concept of agency is that that's what we have it within us. So when people are telling us this is the rule, even if it's a good rule, are we naturally kind of push back? And then I, I just worry that we've been away from church for so long. That it's, you know, we want to go back. We want to feel the spirit. We want that experience. And that's exactly, I'm just worried about these, all these things that are going to cause us to have that reactance or not feel heard or, you know, be looking around and not focusing on what we're there for. Yeah. Becky, what, what's going through your mind? No, I think, yeah, like at, at the very end of the day, we all said yes to the same plan. And we know that because we're here. And the plan that I said yes to was a plan of agency. And so it makes sense that like my soul opposes the idea of being told you have to do this, you have to do that. And even within the church, it's not a situation of where it's like, no, you have to do this. You have a choice. Are there consequences if you don't do X, Y, and Z? Yes. But that sparks, like, I know for me, I call it my fuse getting lit. As soon as I'm told, especially in 
a church community or my a school community or whatever. When I'm told, no, you will do it this way. I'm like, hmm, will I? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Right. Yeah. But as you guys and are I- talking and I'm hearing about this stuff, like I'm hearing there's no right way to do it. Like there's no right way to do it. None of us have done this before. So Brene Brown, who I'm a huge fan of, has a podcast out. And her very first episode, or maybe it's the second, is about what she calls FFTs or TFTs, if the F word is not your jam. And (laughs) so let's go with that. She has she has these she talks about a terrible first time. And as she was explaining the terrible first time, I'm thinking like, that's like when you expect your one year old to have a smash cake at their birthday party. This is a thing that we I did this. This is my do. story. Yeah. So <laughs> so we parents have a smash cake. We know like we call it a smash cake because we're going to expect it to be a hot mess. So for my kids, we put down legit like a huge plastic tablecloth, took off the clothes and we're like, OK, we know Your it's going to be messy. We're natural. planning for the mess. <laughs> and then actually my first, it was not messy at all. She thought it was lotion and she rubbed the frosting on wow. her arms and didn't even eat the stinking cake. And I was bummed that it wasn't messy, but we planned for this mess. And if we all just going into this, every single one of us, leaders, saints, whatever, go into this and say, none of us know how to do this. None of us are going to nail it. None of us are going to rock at it. It's going to be messy then it leaves that space of curiosity. Like what you're talking about, Kurt, it leads for that space of, well, how can we make this pizza fit for our ward? Or how can we make this pizza fit for our state? It leads for that. My hope is, at least in my area, my ward, my stake, is that one of the core values is everyone's doing the best that they can. Like everybody Mm -hmm. is just trying to do the very best that they can in this. If Brother so-and-so does this. It is not coming from a place of ill intent. It is not coming from a place of the fact that he doesn't care about so-and-so or that he wants to just contaminate everybody. It's coming from a place of him doing the very best that he can in this space. And as you guys are talking, this is what I'm hearing is it's like, none of us are going to rock at it. Just expect that we're not. And that's okay. And that's not to expect that we're not. So then we're just dumpster fires on wheels. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But it's a situation of where there is there isn't a game plan on how to do it. That's why there's yeah. so much autonomy being given because no one has like a for you. This is exactly what needs to happen. And so I love it because I think it's a super awesome way for us to get really curious about what stays, what goes, how we're going to restructure things according to the ward value system that we've built as leaders in wards and in, in, in stakes. Yeah. Becky, you said something. Go ahead. Oh, I love what you said, because I know, Becky, you're an emotionally focused therapy person as well, an EFT person. And I love one of the core principles of that is that nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, how can I hurt my partner? Right. And I think that you're speaking to that exactly. Even old crabby brother Christensen, you know, he's he's crabby because he said he doesn't feel he's hurt or he feels like nobody, you know, understands him or so even the people that are going to try to do something that it, you're, it might go against what you feel is the right thing to do, just a, a way to lead with empathy is to know that they didn't wake up and think, okay, I know how I can get everybody in the ward mad at me. I'll do this, right? So right. We're not, none of us are coming from that, that right. uh, perspective. Yeah. And I love that, you know, as far as the terrible first times, because when it, it really helps bishops or leaders in general, just give themselves a lot of self-empathy yes. and say, this isn't because I'm a bad leader that yes. this is going well. 
I've never done this before. And so let's just be patient and go through it. But I think another crucial step in that is like communicating the word saying, you know, you may start your first couple of sacrament meetings saying something like, hey, we're just glad you're here. Hey, would you mind, I, you, you may leave today and the next week and the next week feeling like, oh, like, why do I even go? Like, well, I'm just going to chill at home for the next, till this passes over. Would you help us out and just keep coming and give us feedback, strong feedback, direct feedback. We want to learn and improve this, but we need your help in this because nothing our Latter-day Saints want to do more than answer the question, is there anything you can do to help me right, or help you? And one way you can help leaders is just say, hey, let me give you some feedback. This I really felt uncomfortable when this when this priest was you know, breaking the bread that way. And, you know, he didn't, wasn't wearing gloves or whatever, like, okay, well, great. That's something to consider. Right. And so communicating to the word saying, this is, this is going to be a terrible first time for a lot of us. And we recognize that we just stick with us because we could really use your help getting that unity back here as we go through this. So have a lot of grace and patience. Right? It reminds me of when I went through the temple for the, my first time and my mom went through with me and one of like just a nugget that she gave me was she said, there is going to be a lot going on that you're not going to necessarily understand or that is going to be confusing or whatever. Pay attention to the spirit. Pay attention to how you feel. Don't pay attention to all the other details. It's fine. It's, it's going to be fine. You just pay attention to the spirit. That's what you need to focus on. And so as I went through I wasn't so concerned about what was being done or what was being said. I noticed, right? But I paid attention to the spirit. And when the spirit confirmed to me things like that. And so if we can go into these spaces of sacrament meeting and we can pay attention to the spirit we feel versus how everything's being done, God has us. He is the master of compensation. If priest so-and-so has shenanigans happening over the sacrament, or if kiddo runs over into your row and they don't understand social distancing, or whatever, like God is going to compensate. If we show up, like he's got us. If that's what we feel like is right for our family, right? To go to sacrament at this time, he'll compensate. He'll make up that difference. But the spirit is what we get to focus on, which is what made sacrament so awesome at my house, right? Was Mm because I was able to feel the spirit in such a deep way. So if we focus on that, and not everything else, then it makes it so that we can leave that meeting feeling like we got what we came for and more. Yeah. You know, one tactic, I don't think it was your primary point of of all that, but one thought that came to mind is I love this idea of a leader giving like a focal point of a meeting. And we kind of assume, well, the sacrament's the focal point. It should be, right? But to stand up in the first couple of sacrament meetings and say, hey, today, I want you to just to focus on how you're feeling being back here, being in this chapel that that you love, right? And then like I want and encourage them, maybe, maybe intentionally try and make the masks disappear, make the the social distancing disappear. And how can we focus on the spirit today and just how we feel? Or how can you we're all six feet apart? Let's focus on how we can still engage with each other while still separate, right? I think that's such a leader strong leadership principle is giving them a focal point. And that that really helps sift out the the mess of it all and the craziness of it all. Like, oh right, right, yeah. I'm gonna I am gonna pay attention to that, you know. And, and I think that's a great point. It's like know. mini vision, right, for that meeting. Yeah, I love it. Mini vision, nice. One thing I want to talk about is the this concept that I think Becky, you brought this up uh, before we hit recording. As far as the balance between as a leader, you're gonna want to 
fall into two one side of the, the spectrum or the other. Then that is trying to avoid offending others, like you know the we're going to trying to use different yeah. last names. Uh, Sister Smith, who's just in the bishop's ear ever, at the end of each meeting, like I can't believe this happened, and you're thinking, okay, all right, let's Smith. And in your mind, you're thinking, will you go home if I agree to put in place this rule, yeah. right, so that never happens again, right? So we get in the state of either we try to avoid offending others or my way or the highway. Like, listen, Sister Smith, that's just the way we're doing it here. And if you don't want to do it, then maybe you shouldn't come, right? Obviously, maybe you want to use those words, although I'm sure some bishops might. Sure. So, Becky, any, how would you unpack this or yeah, so, guide us down this? And this happens all, like, it just happens all the time in leadership, right? Like, as I'm in my leadership position and so-and-so has an opinion about the fireside or so-and-so has an opinion about the dessert or how the chairs were set up or whatever it is, so-and-so didn't lead on the 4-4 and it was a 4-4 song. They led 3-4, whatever, right? Like people will have their comments. And as a leader, I not only want to accommodate, but I want people to see that I am open to like having feedback given to me. And if I don't do something about it after the feedback is given, then, oh my goodness, what if all these people don't think that I'm open to having feedback? And so maybe I do need to, right? So that's on one side. And then on the other side, it's like tough tic tacs because that's what we decided to do. So deal with it, yeah, right? Fall in line. Maybe right? that's like the mom and me that's just like, eat the flipping <laughs> spaghetti, <laughs> right? <laughs> Whatever. So, so we pendulum swing. And all of us do it at one point in yeah. time or whatever. It's human but, nature, yeah. Yeah, but the idea is to come somewhere in the middle. And what I've come to find, at least for me, that is helpful or, or that works in that space is is taking that feedback as feedback, even if it sounds like criticism, even if it sounds like they're coming at me, like in holding space for it in, in a feedback space of like, okay, they're giving me their feedback. They're just trying to do the best they can, just like I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm not going to defend. I'm not going to make up excuses. Yeah. I'm not going to... I'm just going to take that feedback, right? I'm going to be empathetic if for some reason somebody was offended because we had crackers instead of wheat thin. I don't know, whatever, right? So I'm going to be empathetic and I don't have to agree with them, but I can be empathetic. And then I'm going to counsel. And that's the beauty of like, then I'm going to take their feedback and I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to the state young men's president. And I'm going to say, hey, I received this feedback. What are your thoughts? Or I'm going to go back to my presidency and I'm going to counsel and I'm going to say, hey, do we need to consider this? Right. Like what what should we focus on? What should we notice or or whatever? And then I don't have to make the final decision and say, OK, then next week we're going to do it this way. OK, so next standards night, this is how we're going to handle it. I get the feedback of everybody in deciding that. And then if it doesn't end up happening, that we change that. Then if that person comes back and is like, I thought I told you to put carrots out instead of celery or whatever it is, then I can say, I appreciated that feedback. I actually went back and I counseled with the state young men's president. I counseled with my presidency. And this is what the consensus was. Or it can be a situation of where they can see that changes happen and, and it's happening. Like it's not all on my shoulders. Hallelujah. Thank heavens. Cause it's not supposed to be. That's why we have councils. So with that empathy piece, me being able to hold space for the feedback, the having that empathy, and then me also counseling, like I'm able to make more level-headed decision than if somebody's coming and my fight, flight, or freeze is activated, depending on who I show up as that day, depends on what could come out, right? If I'm going to make an emotional response, it's not going to be as effective. And it's certainly not going to be directed by the spirit per se, because 
we're supposed to have councils. We're supposed to be in, in that kind of space, right? Tony, any thoughts coming to mind? I don't want to skip over you. No, you're good. Uh, I think when Becky was talking about that, I, I just think about it. People are afraid to kind of go to the middle and, and that, you know, that all or nothing or black or white thinking. I mean, they, they call those cognitive distortions. And I think that is the way we're kind of pre-programmed and, and we don't like to feel uncomfortable. So sometimes I feel like, yeah, having to have that conversation with somebody that's coming at you a little bit. I always like to say one of the quickest ways to diffuse that is they say drop the rope of the tug of war. So instead of trying to go all or nothing or black or white or you're wrong or let me make sure you understand that is that thanks so much for sharing that with me. I really appreciate that. I like what Becky's saying. And just, you know, sometimes that's the quickest way to watch somebody say because then they just say, well, OK, then, you know, they they're ready for the fight. And uh, and you've you've just you've you've said thank you. Drop the rope of the tug of war. Yeah, so, yeah that can be really uh, empowering. Yeah. And uh, there's a f- uh, two directions I, uh, that come to mind. That I want I want to go here. But when I want to start with a, a story time here, uh, as far nice. as my experience as as a bishop, there was this uh, wonderful sister in, in, in our ward who had a lot of chronic health issues. And, you know, there's always you know, she was in and out of hospital from times. And and she was uh, un, under the understanding that she was allergic to, I believe it's Freon, the with the, the stuff air that makes air cold in yeah, an air yeah. conditioner. Right. Okay. And so there I am sitting on the stand as the bishop and it's like July, it's like a hundred and bazillion degrees outside. And I see her stand up every several over several sacrament meetings, go over to the air conditioner and turn it off. Oh boy. And this other ward members are seeing it and I'm getting texts up there like, whoa, well, like, hey, why is this off? And I, there's almost this passive aggressive, like one member stands up and turns it on, then she turns it off, right? And so obviously as a leader, I need to address that situation. So I remember going to her and she was just very adamant, like, I cannot come to church unless there's the AC is turned off. And I think we all cannot come to church unless the AC is on, right? And so in this moment, and going back to some of these principles that Becky touched on is that first you start with empathy. So I empathize like, wow, you know, sister, I need another last name, uh, Sinclair, uh, sister, that's not a real name. Uh, Sister Sinclair, wow, that I am so sorry. I know you deal with so many health problems and we just want to love you and help you. We want to be a place where you feel welcome. But we have a pretty strong boundary here that when it's church in the summer, we got to have the AC on. And here's the thing. And then I I think another tactic is then you go to some options rather than my way or the highway. I could have said, that's the way it is. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. Or I could go to the other way and and say, all right, ward council, should we have the AC on? I and mean, that would be a very short discussion in a ward council meeting, right? And so you go. To, I went to some options. Like, let's talk about some options. Do you know there? There's many times people can't come to church because of health concerns. We would be more than happy to bring you the sacrament every week. Should we consider that? And she was sort of offended. Like, oh, are you? Is my bishop asking me to not come to church? I'm like, no, 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 no. We want you here. We love you. We want to help you. But that AC, that boundary is pretty strong. It's on. It's on mm-hmm. all summer long. That's the way, that's just what it needs to be. And so we are w- happy to create some options so that you still have access to ordinances or fellowship or whatever it is. And I think a lot of people, they may run into those situations where Sister Sinclair is just really adamant that if this continues, that it can be a problem, right? And you can sort of, that's where you, you recognize the spectrum in front of you and say, okay, where do I land and how can I diffuse this situation where there's a win-win? So the other component here with when it comes to this dichotomy of trying to avoid offense and my way or the highway, sometimes we can use what uh, Anthony Sweat termed as spiritual trump cards, where we we don't know how to defuse the situation. So instead of showing empathy, giving options or going to counsel, we just say, listen, Sister Sinclair, we've prayed about this as a bishop. 
uh, bishopric and this is the way we're doing it. And that's the inspiration we've received. And the minute we lay down that spiritual trump card, we mute them. They are then in the category of unheard because that's what the spirit said. So what do you want me to do it, right? There's like this, you remove ownership, personal ownership as a leader. Like I didn't, yeah, it wasn't my idea, but here came the spirit telling me what to do. And so that's what we're doing. So any thoughts on the spiritual trump card? Is Because I, I think you guys experienced this in your, in your office as far as like it, people explaining this dynamic in their personal experience. I know in my office when I hear it and it depends, like obviously if someone has asked for us not to talk about spiritual things or whatever in the office and we just, we don't, and that's where it goes. But if somebody is, is saying, I want that to be a part of my experience. I want that to be a part of my process. And they're telling me, you know, well, I, I really feel like the spirit has told me that it's this. And I've had this happen. I've had people tell me, actually, the spirit has told me that this is what the diagnosis is. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, like, okay, it's not like in my head. I mean, I'm not saying right. so. So <laughs> this happens in, in that capacity as well as I've experienced it within leadership, you know, where even when if we're in a council or something like that, a bishop or whoever can say, well, this is what the spirit has said. So this is what's happening. And you're just kind of like, well, I guess that's what's happening. So I know like in my office, if somebody is saying, you know, the spirit told me that this is what the diagnosis is or that this is what's going on, then I can validate that. And I I make sure that they know I'm never going to claim to get personal revelation for you. I'm never going to claim that I know better than the spirit. Here are some things to consider in that space. And here's how I've concluded X, Y, and Z in that space, right? Just consider it. Just try it on and, and keep that in mind as you're thinking about this, this, and this, right? So if you're talking to somebody who's like, I just, I have all this crazy anxiety. The spirit has told me I, I am not coming back to church. Even when the prophet says it's time to come back, the spirit has said, I'm not supposed to come back till December 14th. So I'm not coming back till December 14th, right? Then it can be that space of, I'm not here to get revelation for you. I'm not going to be in that space. Here are some things to consider. You might want to consider that anxiety feels a certain way in the body and be curious about that. And if you feel like it'd be helpful for maybe to talk to somebody, I can connect you to somebody or, or whatever. So that's, I know for me, Mm. that's how I handle it. Like within my office, I know outside of my office, like my spiritual trump cards are mine. I've noticed I don't get to have spiritual trump cards for other people. Now, if it's a stewardship situation, I'm counseling with everyone that like with my presidency or with a bishopric or whatever, like I'm counseling with them. And we're figuring out together. So it's not my spiritual trump card that gets the final say. But if I'm in a situation and quite, I say it all the time, like God said to do this for myself, because I feel like I straight up got it from him. Right. But that's not God said this for me, for you, or God said, you're supposed to do this way. It's very individualized. And it's, it's me. It's a personal boundary, whatever you want to call it for me but I don't get to make everyone accommodate my spiritual trump card. So that's kind of like in a personal, personal space, professional space. I'm, I'm curious, Tony, about your experience with it. I enjoy listening to you say that. So um, I remember, so I just, I forgive me, but I'm going to, I call it the Holy ghost card. And I remember for a good 10 years of my practice or, or maybe not quite that many, but I would feel like when somebody would, you know, pull the Holy ghost card, I felt like I would almost have to just step back and almost kind of, say how much time we got left. You know, do you want to play Jenga or something like that? Because I feel like <laughs> in that moment, who am I to challenge someone's personal revelation? 
But then I feel like the more comfortable I became as a therapist, the more I started seeing more and more experiences where exactly what you said, where it can sure look like anxiety. You know, it can sure look like a, a, a fight or flight mode kicking in and uh, some good old cortisol flooding the brain and the heart rate increasing. And, and so I found that it was, I did the same where it was just a uh, man, I would invalidating it. I would never try to take away your Holy ghost card, but I, you know, here's what I see at times, or at times I, I feel like this can, can also look like that. But again, that's just my experience or, or I, and you know, and, and I, I don't know if you do this too, Becky, but I'm not trying to be manipulative or if I am, it's lovingly manipulation. So, but the, you know, I've had clients then where this okay. has been the case, right? Yeah. As long as you say it's <laughs> loving, but where it's, you know, I, cause I can still remember one of the first times I ever was able to question this in a session with somebody who was ready to, to break up a very wonderful relationship before a marriage and the Holy ghost had told them to, well, by the time we were done with that, it was fear, you know, it was fear of this unknown. It was fear of, of not being enough. It was fear of, you know, not seeing a relationship modeled well as a kid there, you know, and then all of a sudden it was just, it was pretty beautiful. I almost didn't felt like, Oh, what if it was the Holy ghost, right? My bad. But you know, it really was just a beautiful moment. And so I can't imagine how hard that would be if that's outside of my office, because, you know, like I say, it took me a long time of feeling, seeing just, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients that then would every now and again, you get, you just see enough of people pull the Holy Ghost card when they are scared or when they are, when they do feel hurt or wounded or unheard or that sort of thing. So there is no part of me that wants to say that I, I know better than their Holy Ghost card, because I love what you're saying there. I know when I really feel that revelation. I do think it's interesting too, and I'm just going to float this out to the the ether, but I love when, when somebody feels heard or when you're really working with somebody for a while, I love that moment where you can kind of say, hey, you know, you really are the only one that knows what is going on in your head, you know, and is the, the revelation or Holy Ghost card coming from a, I don't know, I don't feel confident enough in my own skills or strength or my own voice to say that this is how I feel. So if I put the Holy Ghost behind it, then people will just say, okay, you know, and I feel like I've had some really, really precious moments there where people have, have come in after the fact when they have, here we go, Kurt dialed in their values, you know, and really diffused from the being, you know, should on, I, you should do this, you should do that. And really starting to feel more confident because I feel like those people start to feel more confident, even their relationship with God. And they feel like they are more in tune with the spirit and being able to come to me after and saying, hey, check this out. I had an experience where I maybe would have in the past said, well, the Holy Ghost told me to do it, where they're saying, no, I, I feel confident in doing this or in saying this. And that's just been amazing. So I don't even know if that answers the question. Wow, this is so helpful because it really helps me see that the this spiritual trump card or the Holy Ghost card is really a two-side thing where it could come from a leadership standpoint saying, I feel inspired that, inspired that we need to create this boundary or do this thing. And I think we, from that standpoint, we have to be careful just to how we're using or communicating things to the, to the word where I would much rather a leader say, instead of we felt inspired, we had a, a prompting to do fill in the blank, but rather say we counseled together and mm -hmm. made the decision to move forward with this, even if an angel descended and told you that, right? Because it can, again, it's not your fault, but it can be interpreted as a bit manipulative and then people sort of push back on it, right? But then there's this other side where it goes back to our discussion with the anxiety versus the spirit, where individuals can sort of use that, those trump cards to say, Bishop, I'm not coming back because the spirit told me to. And what he's supposed to say, like, no, 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 that's not the spirit. Stop it. Stop listening to that voice. And then they think, what, what? 
And, uh, well, and that's where but, I go back. It's that same. And I know this is the third time I'm preaching the psychological reactance piece. But, you know, if somebody says that they feel the spirit told them don't come back till December 14th, I believe I feel look at my I feel statements that I feel like the best <laughs> thing to do is say, man, I appreciate you sharing that with me. You know that I can understand. I worry that you'll miss on some of these great opportunities, but I respect where you're you know, right. people just want to feel heard. Yeah, and I feel that's like where the it, empathy comes. right? It does, because I feel like that that's the part where, you know, step back and say, OK, they didn't they didn't wake up in the morning and think, how can I? hurt anybody. You know, if it's saying, I don't feel like coming until the 14th, very likely is the spirit, but it could also be, man, I need to see more of what this, the new church is going to look like before I will feel comfortable because I have this crippling anxiety, you know? And so it's really to be heard is to be healed. And that's the time where somebody might, you know, well, maybe I can do October. I don't know. We'll see, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I pulled the spiritual Trump card Thursday night in a text. Nice. With it my works husband. in marriages too, huh? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, oh, I, you can. Good luck with it. But my husband <laughs> did exactly what Tony's talking about, showed up like a boss, like just absolutely awesome. And it shocked me how quick I de like escalated and go. how quick All I right, defused. Exactly. So I'm going to read you the texts. Okay. Oh now, boy. we're getting personal. I'm going to give you, I'm Welcome being super Becky's vulnerable, therapy. you guys. You're going to see this. Okay. And y'all are going to be like, this woman is a therapist. <laughs> This is just okay. me being real with you. Okay. All right. I'm going to give the disclaimer that this is not because of my stake leadership. This is a Becky issue. This is not my stake leadership issue. The fact that I was lit up like a campfire is not because of the leadership. It's a me thing. I'll talk to my therapist about it. Okay. So here's how it went. I went to a leadership meeting about how everything was going to be rolled out it was an overwhelming meeting because all of this is very, very overwhelming. This is what the sacrament's going to look like. This is the schedules. This is how we're going to do all of this kind of stuff, right? That so sounds really hard, Becky. See what I did there, Kurt? I was wow. a professional therapist. So here's, here's uh, your check is in the mail. Here is <laughs> what I said. I texted him and I said, this is shenanigans. Why are we even getting back together? What is being suggested is madness. He texts me and he's like, I'm so sorry that you're feeling that way. I text him back and I said, I am over it. I am done, babe. Seriously, we need to make going back a huge matter of prayer. I don't think it's a fit for our family. The spirit is telling me no. Mm, you he see says, that spirit card? It, huh? no, it wasn't. It was anxiety. It could I was have been. Like, I'm not are you mother loving kidding me? Have you seen my six-year-old? Like he is yes, going to be climbing all over these benches and licking everything as he does it. Like, <laughs> how am I going to do this? Right. So then he says to me after I say, like, this is what he says. We can absolutely do that. Take really good notes. Then when you get home, we can talk about it. Let's figure out what's best for our family. So then I send back just a couple. I'm about to have a panic attack with all of this stuff going on. He says, what's being said that's causing you panic? He's so good. It's almost like he's been married to a therapist for 16 years. So, so then I say the magnitude of everything that's being expected is just too much. And he says, okay, let's talk about it when you get home. And the second I get home, he says, tell me about what happened. And I just unload just everything that happened. What was said, one particular thing that was said that was what lit my fuse, like on and on and on. And he's listening and he's like, holy cow, I can imagine how that felt sitting there feeling like, what am I going to do? And on and on and on. And then he's like, let's slow down. Let's put a pin in this for 24 hours. Let's make this a matter of prayer. And then let's circle back and talk about it. And well before the 24 hours, I came back. I'm like, 
that had nothing to do with anybody but me. <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> think the spirit was saying anything. I think that was my anxiety. I'm like, in fact, I got quite the rebuking when I did kneel down and the Lord was like, quit being so flipping stubborn. Like, and, and so that in real time is like how that played out and how he showed up. He didn't fix it. He didn't say you should do this or you should do that. He didn't even pull the like, well, I'm the husband and I'm saying we are going back card. (laughs) It was just, it was empathy. It was him being in my trench with me and being like, let's just put a pin in it and we'll, we'll figure it out. We're going to figure this out as a family. Nobody's going to make us do anything. We have agency. Let's just figure it out. And then I was able to slow down because I was so diffused. Anyway, we're going to be going back July 14th yes. or June 14th is beautiful. when our work starts. But I, really I love that because yeah. again, going back to our sister Sinclair's, you know, story, like you don't have to figure this all out in the hallway, yeah. right? As she's yeah. in your face, giving you, you know, the right act, right? Like you can say, okay, I, I hear you. Right. And that's, that's really the essence of what your husband did is yes. you felt heard. And that's really all you needed, yeah. right? You just want to be the best husband and, ever, and he's right. taken for eternity. Sorry, lady, he's Yay taken. Yeah. yeah, Becky, he's a virtual couch listener, I believe, as well. Is that correct? I'm sure. I'm sure. Right. <laughs> I, I bro, I bro hugged him at my big event there. Oh yes, 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 yes. I don't even know if he's a, the path of imperfection listener. Yeah, but he okay. listens to yours. <laughs> <Quite> <laughs> okay. But he listens, he, he listens to y'all, to me. so that's great. <laughs> okay, good. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Such a, I'm glad you went through that. And that that's a perfect example. So uh, Tony, let's talk about, and this man, we've co- recovered, we're all over the map here. It sort of feels like, but I want to put together like an episode where we just talk about some of these dynamics that leaders are going to face. Right. Mm-hmm. And my hope is, and I've heard stories like this, people find themselves in these situations and their brain will take them back to that podcast that where yeah. Tony said something and, and now I know how to handle it. All right, let's talk about truth, beauty, and goodness. Tony, unpack that for us. Yeah, so I love this. So, you know, I do a lot of work and I love doing work with people that are on faith journeys, faith crisis. I mean, it went from when I used to work for the church, I was trained in, you know, faith crisis and pornography addiction, that sort of thing. And this is the thing that I used to talk about maybe once a week. And now I've already had two sessions talking about it today, literally today. And I love working with this. And I've done a bunch of stuff with Fowler Stages of Faith and, and just all that stuff that I just love. But one of the first trainings I went to talking about faith journey, faith crisis, and and I'm not saying this is somebody that necessarily has to be going through a faith crisis that this will apply, but the training was about the transcendentals. The great philosophers talked about putting everything into this either truth, beauty, or goodness category. And I loved this concept. And they used it with the church in saying that if you kind of look at truth as maybe the doctrinal claims of the church, beauty as the faith-promoting messages found in conference or the songs, the hymns of the church, and then the goodness as the people that most of us will be able to align ourselves as more of a truth person, a beauty person, or a goodness person. I love the beauty part. I can't, I think the phrase is carry a tune in a bucket, but I love to sing. I love the music. I love the conference talks. So I know that's me. You know, I used to blame the, I'm a convert. I don't, I didn't grow up reading the the scriptures over and over. So the truth, you know, that part, the doctrine that one, my eyes can get a little bit heavy if I'm hearing a lot of heavy, you know, doctrinal topics. But again, beauty is wonderful. And for some people, and you know, I'm sure we all know these people, their foundation of the church is the goodness. It's the people that they just want to have the ward activities and they want to go help people move. And so if any of those, so when you talk about this in a faith crisis or faith journey perspective, if someone's struggling with the, the truth claims, then, you know, we really want to focus on the beauty in the church or the goodness in the church, or if they've been offended by the people. So there's the goodness part. 
we lean a little more toward the truth and the, and the beauty. And so I just think it just helps people. And, and I think it also leads to empathy. I've got a fireside I love doing about this truth, beauty, and goodness. And when I start talking about people that aren't necessarily as moved by the doctrine, you know, that maybe it is the beauty and the goodness, I feel like you watch into the congregation as people just kind of uh, almost get weepy or they feel heard or validated. And you watch the people that are the truth people almost shake their head like, what's this guy saying? You know, that's all that this this needs to be about. So I, when our state, I'm in California, they came out and said that there will be no singing. My immediate thought was, oh my gosh, like I love, I love the hymns. You know, that is the part that I really enjoy. And I, I so without that, I'm not saying that I will get nothing from church, you know, but I just worry that there are going to be some of the people that are going to maybe be disappointed or that's the thing that they really feel connected with the gospel or the church or that's how they feel the spirit. And so I just wanted to kind of bring that up from a, maybe all we can do is acknowledge it. You know, it doesn't mean that we can just bust out him and go against the orders of the state or, you know, executive branch. But I think that that needs to be, people need to be aware of that. Yeah. And, and I love this, uh, this concept because it really does simplify the whole values discussion, right? Like there, these are three values in general, people are coming to the church to experience one of those values more than another, and not because it's right or wrong. It's just, it is what it is. Right. And so what a wonderful discussion a ward council could have yeah. as they go back to church saying, okay, what are we going to do to really highlight the truth in, in the Sunday experience? What are we going to do about beauty and goodness? Like take those three pieces apart and say, how can we really highlight these in our ward so that, because there may be that individual like yourself, who's like, you're not going to sing the hymns. Or, well, I'll just come back when you start singing the hymns again, because I right. love the hymns. Right. But instead say, well, it, you know, you're giving an additional option. I don't know what that would be, but uh, you know, what, what are some other beauty? Well, I thought, you know, goodness, I thought right? about this too. And it's funny because I thought about this on a run over the weekend. I thought about, <laughs> um, I don't, and again, I'm not, uh, I can't lay claim to trying to make policy for the church, but I even thought about, you know, the, the, the lyrics of some of the hymns are, are amazing and beautiful. I don't know if somebody gets up between talks and reads the lyrics of a song. Cause we never, we never listen to those, you know, or some people don't, or, and I thought, okay, Hey, there's personal responsibility here too. I have a Sunday playlist that I listen to when I drive to church that I absolutely love. So I know that I'm not just saying, you know, well, the church isn't doing that for me, but I also, you know, I did a podcast long ago on shared experiences. And I feel like singing in a congregation is truly a shared experience. You can go look at some pretty cool data that shows in shared experiences. You've got a uh, heart rate uh, uh, increase and pupil dilation. And we've got this thing that we're just feeling something together. So I don't know. I don't know if that's reciting the, the words of a hymn. I have no idea what that would look like. But I just wanted to bring some awareness to that. I don't know, Becky, if you kind of have thoughts on that, too. Y'all are blowing my mind. Like, I am taking <laughs> notes like crazy with all this stuff. No, here's what came to my mind, because I've noticed that when I'm in a leadership position, so I was the young women's president before I was the state young women's president. And I'm certain that bishops feel this or elders quorum presidents feel this or Relief Society presidents feel this. Sometimes there are parts of the beauty or parts of the goodness or even parts of the truth that fall away because you're just doing the things. Like I'm thinking about how busy a bishop's brain is going to be with mm. all of this that yeah. like he could gain none of like beauty or goodness and walk away feeling really frustrated. Right. But he may really tap in, lean heavy on the truth. Then this is what, you know, 
the brethren have asked us to do or whatever the doctrine is that he needs to find in some of that. And so I'm excited because as I'm as I'm noticing what's coming up for me as a leader, like, where am I missing that piece? I can tap into that. I know that there was a point in time when I was really missing that beauty piece. And so mm-hmm. like in, in a church setting, so I had to go find it somewhere else. Right. I listened to like worship songs that yeah. are Christian worship songs, or I'm watching this message from church of Jesus Christ.org. Did I get that right? Yeah. You nailed it. I still type in LDS.org and it just, it it for it me. Works. change um, your ways. Yeah. But change I change your ways. How dare you shame us? Repent. This, this to the, me fall is in just line, so, guys. Fall in it's line. so awesome because I think that leaders, it's going to be tricky. Right. And it's, it's even like moms, there was a, a chunk years where I was like, I'm going to get nothing out of church because I am running up and down halls. I'm, taking kiddo that I'm potty training to the bathroom and then I'm, you know, whatever. But if I'm aware of the truth, beauty, and goodness, and I know maybe what I value or what's missing there, I can accommodate that. I can have the spirit direct me in what to do. And so I'm hopeful that our leaders hearing this can can say, where can I tap into that? I always tell this uh, story. So I taught early morning seminary for seven years, but still to this day, if you ask me, I don't know, uh, hey, how about that King Lamoni, right? I'm like, yeah, how about him? Yeah, I don't remember anything. And I felt a tremendous amount of shame for those years. And I realized, okay, that was that part where that, you know, I do, I enjoy the scriptures. I, the stories are great. I have the retention of a, I don't have a good retention joke, you know, um, something like Nat. Thank you. A pool ball. Yes. But I loved the connection and I loved, we always sang a hymn. We always had a spiritual thought. We always had open discussion. I loved that experience. Absolutely love that experience. And I used to, to cower when I would go into gospel doctrine in fear of somebody saying, well, Brother Overbay, you've been teaching sacrament or you've been teaching seminary for a long time. Tell us about this obscure Old Testament story, you know, <laughs> and uh, and it took me a long time to feel comfortable going. Yeah, I have no idea. Thank goodness that we can look them up on our phones, huh? Yeah. You know, but so I feel like that. And I remember as I've shared that on my podcast, as I, I, mean, I speak a lot to this subject at, at firesides or, or you know, whatever, fifth Sunday lessons. And I'm so happy and surprised by how many people come up and talk about this because the people that I think go hard on the truth and again, love them, love them to death. I mean, we need those people, but you know, they, when they get up there and quote scripture and verse and talk about how they've read the, the whole scriptures like 18 times this year, I love that that's their experience, their values. Right. But to me, I used to do a whole lot of like, man, I am not that cool. You know, something is wrong with me. And now I realize, ah, I'm grateful for them bless their hearts. Now I will uh, go and sing off key to the tune of be still my soul and have an amazing experience. Yeah. That's so good. And and, I mean, as we go through these, I think ah, we need a whole podcast on some of these, these principles because that one is, uh, and we've talked about it before, but that's a powerful model. I mean, and that's the thing, like if there's a Bishop breaker leaders out there, just sort of grasping it, trying to figure out how to do all this or go back, say, you know, we're just going to follow the truth, beauty, goodness model. And as we go back into this and that'll maybe keep us, in the the universe we need to be in, you know? All right. Well, let's wrap up here. We've, uh, this is good. I mean, this is a meaty episode here. I mean, people should, I hope you listen to this uh, several times because there's some, there's a lot of content here and we'll probably break out and do a more hyper-focused episodes about some of these concepts in the future. But I, I wanted to cram as much as we could because we're sort of in this 
pivotal moment of leadership going back and people, I feel, you know, leaders can feel lost. So I hopefully we've given them some inspiration and some direction to consider as they do that. So we'll end on, on one more thought here, but uh, let's plug your stuff. So if people want to follow you and uh, follow your journey and the good content you're creating. Becky, let's start with you. Uh, where can people connect with you and find you? Yes, you can find me on Instagram. It's Becky Hennessy LCSW. Incredibly original. You're welcome. My podcast is either The Path of Imperfection or The Path of Connection, depending on when you listen to this. You can find me on there. And then my website is just BeckyHennessy.com. It's B-E-C-K-I-E and then Hennessy, H-E-N-N-E-S-S-Y.com. That's where you can connect with me. Awesome. Tony, what about you? Uh, yeah, the please uh, go subscribe or listen to the Virtual Couch podcast. I've had both Becky and Kurt on my podcast, as a matter Ooh, of fact. Start yeah, there. Ex- exactly. And you can find me at TonyOverbay.com. And, and uh, I don't know, I'm not good at promoting myself, but I would love for you to sign up. I've got some really cool stuff coming up about marriage, about uh, couples communication. Very excited about that. And even a program on faith journey, faith crisis, how to kind of work with that. And uh, those are things that I'm really passionate about. And I'm also on Instagram at Virtual Couch. And I've got a book that, you know, it's called, he's a former addict and an expert, he's an expert and a former addict answer your questions that I really am very proud of that I play the role of the expert and it's about addiction and betrayal trauma. And it's just, I think it can really help a lot of people. So you can find those things all over the place. There awesome. You go. All right, let's wrap up with, uh, and, and Becky, maybe you can unpack this and Tony can interject, but uh, as far as the, the measuring stick, what should we understand about this concept of the measuring stick? Yeah, so here I'm noticing this in a leadership capacity. I'm noticing in my personal stuff and I'm also noticing it in the therapy space. And so usually that's like the trifecta for me. What I'm noticing it in all those spaces, I'm like, oh, there's something here and I need to pay attention. And so what I'm noticing is, is this measuring stick that folks are pulling out. And I'm concerned uh, that this measuring stick is going to be used to determine some things that don't necessarily require a measuring stick. For me, where there is a measuring stick, there is shame glitter. Um, because measuring mm-hmm. sticks are really finite and, and shame glitter gets everywhere. everywhere right? glitter I mean, does. shame is like the glitter of the mental health world. I feel like, cause where it is in like on the deck, because you have your kids do it that outside, like at my house, somehow it mm-hmm. turns up in their bed. I don't know how it's possible, but it's just what happens. Right. So I'm noticing that there is, there's this measuring stick coming out in these three spaces And so I just would, I'm encouraging myself, I'm encouraging other folks to just be aware of this. And if this is present and where this is, shame probably is as well. One is that folks are sometimes using this time and how leaders are responding or not responding during this time, during the last two and a half months and during us ramping back up. They're using this as a measuring stick of the truthfulness of doctrine, the truthfulness of the gospel. And they're saying, okay, if my leader did X, Y, and Z, or if my ward member does X, Y, and Z, then the doctrine may not be true. Then the gospel may not be true, which is tricky because when we're dealing with all of this, like terrible first times, we're dealing with people and not necessarily the doctrine. I'm also noticing that leaders are determining whether or not they're a good leader or not on how well they nail this whole COVID thing. Like how well they're dealing with 
helping the youth in connecting during this time, how well they're dealing with other leaders in their ward, how well they're going to be doing this phase one that's just rolling out. And they determine for themselves, I'm a good leader if I do this. I'm a bad leader if I do this. And they're measuring their leadership against that. And then I'm also seeing folks, leaders as well as saints, measuring a saint's commitment to God on how they respond. So from a leadership perspective, that would be, okay, if you do X, Y, and Z, then you pick God. If you don't, then you don't. Mm. And saints are, well, what if I've received personal revelation that I'm not supposed to come back quite yet because of all of these reasons? And then does that mean that I'm not as committed to God? Or what if so-and-so thinks that I'm not as committed to God because I don't fall into that social construct, right? So when we use this, it just, it smells like shame. It sounds like shame. And that shame is about identity, right? Shame's about identity, guilt's about behavior. And when we tie somebody's worthiness, and I'm not talking worthiness like deserving love. I'm not talking like Queen Bee, Brene Brown worthiness. I'm talking about Utah bubble worthiness of like my, my righteousness, right? When we determine whether or not somebody's righteous or connected to God or whether or not the church is true or whether or not we're a good leader based off of if we're okay to wear a mask or not, based off of if we're okay to go back to church or not yet. And those kinds of things, that shame gets blown all over everywhere. And people start to identify with identity. This is who I am. This is who I am not. Not necessarily this is what I do or this is what I didn't do, which this is what I did or didn't do. That's in a guilt space. But that shame starts to creep in. And it's just, I smell it. And I just feel it. And it's just this thing in my gut that I am just like, I can only hold space for myself and my family in that place of trying to kick that shame out, right? And speak that shame as it comes up. But I worry for how it's it's going to land with us as members. You talk a lot about shame, Tony. So Sprinkle your no. stuff on here. Oh, that was beautiful, Becky. I mean, I was just sitting here grinning while you said that. But, you know, in the first episode that I did with Kurt was talking about removing shame from a bishop's office when talking about addiction. And uh, and I even quoted your shame glitter example there because I it, that's so true. And, you know, I did just do when I when I was doing my book tour for about talking about pornography addiction, I was asked how many people I've helped or treated. And at that time, I think it was 12 or 1300. And I said, I'm O for 1300 in shame being a component of recovery. I mean, I still have yet to see that be anything productive and I will make this so fast, but I feel like that's the part where the shame piece that there's no part of uh, unconditional love, Christ-like love, love of the savior that includes any part of shame. And this is the part where I do play that, I, I pull that convert card for so long. And I remember back when I first joined and people talking about the atonement and I would just nod my head, oh man, yeah, how about that atonement? You know, that is something, you know, but then the more that I, I sat in my office as a therapist and the more I would just hear people's stories of the things that they've been through from emotional abuse and physical abuse and sexual abuse and people dying and neglect and all that stuff. And just knowing, man, we are just trying our best and we're trying to be heard and we're, and we're worried and we're fearful. And, uh, and that's the part where the atonement all of a sudden became so real that we, and that's why I love your concept of the measuring stick because it's, man, there's not a need for that. We are just trying based on all of our own 
personal experiences. And that's where I know I'm Kurt. I'm, I'm two for two on the Kurt podcast. So let's make it three for three of laying out the, you know, we think and feel and believe and, and all of these things the way we do because of our nature and our nurture and our birth order and our DNA and our abandonment and our rejection and all the things that we bring to the table right now. And that's what makes us an individual. That's what makes us a, a child of God. And that's what makes us respond and show up and feel and all of those things the way we do. So, you know, I, I believe in that starting the game by saying we're something wrong with you. You're not broken. You know, this is the stuff that we bring to the table. And so we just got to try and taking out that shame and removing that measuring stick is the quickest way to do that. And the atonement covers it all. And we made it. That concludes my interview with Tony and Becky. Definitely follow their stuff. You guys, they're so good and so helpful. And I feel so honored that I have, or so blessed that I have these individuals in my life who I primarily consider as friends who I can go to and say, hey, I'm thinking about something. Like, where am I off base here? What am I not considering? What are you seeing in your office, right? All those types of things that uh, are really helpful to gain a deeper understanding perspective of maybe what others are experiencing during this anxious time, right? And that's all right. That's all right. So hope you like my uh, values pizza approach or idea, right? Again, you know, I'm just a guy that does a podcast in his basement or in his parents' air hockey room. And uh, so, you know, take it or leave it what it is. But I think there's just such power in stepping back and really pushing ourselves on this. And, And that's what I love about this concept of this is a time. You'll never have a time like this speaking hyperbole here, but you'll never have a time like this again, where you have such an opportunity to start at square one, reconsider it all. Obviously, you know, get out the handbooks, make sure you don't reconsider the handbook. It's not your place to do that. So staying within the bounds of the handbook, but reconsidering, how are you doing things? Why are you doing things this way? And this is an opportunity to reset and do something different and create a deeper, more meaningful worship experience to those that uh, started attending back with you. So Keep me posted. Let me know what's working for you. Go to leadingsaints.org slash contact and uh, send me a message. I would love to hear your approaches and uh, what you're doing. And maybe we'll even push those through the newsletter and other places to uh, share them and keep the inspiration stimulated. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 and join the Core Leader community today. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And When the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.